You are listening to the Claim Throne Blodgecast. Welcome back to another episode. This is episode 91. And once again, it is just me flying solo. Cabba has landed in the States, as I've seen. He's been knocking around with a friend of the show, Ryan Smith, Smitty. And I'll be jumping on a plane shortly to catch up with those guys and attend the wedding of our friend and bass player from Claim of Throne, Jim Puppy Parker. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, in the interest of just keeping things rolling, uh, yeah, of course, we had the episode last week with Owen. Thanks for tuning into that one. And thanks, Owen, for coming on. Uh, this one, again, I'm not really sure what I'm going to focus on in particular, but... Yeah, I'll just have a quick yarn and see what comes out. Uh, what I've been doing this morning, actually, is getting ready somewhat to do a recording session when we get back. So I fly out today, which is a Saturday, to the States and fly home next Saturday and then back to work. But the following week, I'm actually doing a recording session, uh, just two songs on drums for some songs that I have written with Al Smith of Begurk and we've booked ourselves in at Vision Rehearsal Rooms in Vic Park for two reasons. One, it's a lower cost place than hiring an actual studio. But two, he's done some recording there, Al has, and he's recommended the rooms, you know, in terms of their isolation from each other. Unlike a lot of rehearsal rooms, you get a lot of spill. These are apparently pretty quiet. And also, I think this room has some sort of treatment that you can move around to kind of alter the way that sound moves around in the room. So anyway, that's going to be pretty interesting. And I dare say while we're there, we'll do some sort of podcast related thing. We'll incorporate it in some way. So whether that's just having a chat about how it goes after we're done, like interviewing Al about the process, or perhaps maybe some chats in between not really sure how we'll go for time during the two-day session but yeah we'll see it'll be factored in anyway so i've been prepping for that doing a lot of practice in the last couple of weeks um first of all i had to write the damn song so i actually booked in when i was about i'd say two minutes through one song and about 30 seconds through the second and yeah i really had to flesh those out just to give myself something to practice to and yeah, finally finished the second song, I think last week or yeah, probably last weekend and sort of have been doing, you know, guitar tracks and demos as I go so I can lay some program drums and then yeah, head into my little shed and play on my shitty makeshift practice kit, which is made up of pillows and old snare drum an old kick pad and a couple of practice pads. Anyway, that's been pretty cool and I've been doing that alongside getting my shit together for the Claim of Throne tour, tours even, coming up. We did announce a week or so ago that we're playing with Winter Sun uh, from Finland over east in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane at the start of November. And then we're heading with them to Japan for three shows, Osaka, Nagoya and Tokyo, if I remember correctly. Anyway, so yeah, I've got these two things that I'm building up to, one at the start of October, one at the start of November, and they require pretty different uh, style of preparation. Like um, I could probably go and play the gigs right now and be totally fine, but because we've got, you know, six shows within the space of about a week, 
I really want to be on top of my stuff with Claim of Throne, right? And it's also forcing me to get in and play to click tracks and really get my stuff down for this recording too. So, yeah. And I guess what's also interesting is that Claim of Thrones newer music has some more slower and brooding elements. And this recording I'm doing has a little bit more of that vibe in it too. So that's definitely something I find to be challenging, switching gears, so to speak, like a bit of fast stuff and then a bit of slow stuff. So yeah, all the practices ended up working in together, which is quite nice. And I'm finding myself getting stronger in a way, like more stamina, I guess you'd call it. You know, able to keep things up longer, especially when we're talking about, you know, fills, double kicks, blast beats, crap like that. But then also really focusing on just hitting my snare in time on those basic groove parts. Um, I find that if I haven't done a lot of practice, I tend to rush or drag behind or ahead of the beat a little bit. And yeah, so I'm focusing on those two sides of the coin and trying to switch between the two modes as well. Anyway, it's going pretty good so far. Uh, another thing, I think I've got my touring rig all sorted, just probably taking my snare and my cymbals and pedals, and I would dare say my triggers. But yeah, in terms of the studio, uh, I've been doing a lot more reading from the last On Desolate Plains session about some skin choices maybe. I'm going to rehead my kit, of course. I think I'm going to go with Remo pinstripes. They're heavier than I'd normally use for a recording session. But yeah, I've generally used uh, two-ply heads sometimes with muffling rings in the past. And yeah, I want to I want to go for a heavier, heavier skin and get more thud and attack out of it rather than tone so much. I think anyway, that's my plan. Uh, and especially in terms of the kick drum, I want a punchier kick drum sound. I've found that thinner skins don't work on my 24-inch kick. So, yeah, I'm going to give pinstripes a whirl on that as well. And you know what? If it doesn't come out the way I want it, I'll just work with what I've got. But that's the plan. Uh, something else I've been doing is, um, uh, I guess, most recordings I've done, I've used a pair of 5A, Power 5A Vader sticks. Uh, I used to use Power 5Bs back in the day, but when I started playing faster music and not practicing as much, I found it easier to practice with a set of 5Bs, but play live and record with some 5As. Now, I think on Desolate Plains, yes, I had switched to Power 5B sticks. I think I bought a dozen of them at some point. And yeah, I just built myself up to use them again. And I think they went well and allowed me to just rely a bit more on technique and the weight of the stick to get a lot out of the shells. With the 5As, you've got to hit harder, but not harder. It's it, it's harder to... F oh, God, I don't know. It's difficult to use. I, I don't think they respond as well as a heavier stick. And to get the most out of a drum, I think you sort of put in a weird type of effort to get the same result. Um, whereas with the heavier stick, yeah, it takes a bit more to get used to the feel of it and the stamina but i think it's worth it in the long run for sure anyway um doing these so i'll be using them live but doing these recordings i think i'm actually going to switch to two b's for it being that it's a little bit slower again than claim a throne 
Uh, but yeah, I've been doing all this practice and I want to put a lot of weight behind each hit. So yeah, I just went out this morning and bought a pair of two bees. I'm going to give them a bit of a run this afternoon before I fly out. And then I'm going to use a practice pad while I'm in Vegas, just in the hotel room every day. Maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes, half an hour tops. And just keep it up and get used to them. And if I feel comfortable with them on the day while I'm recording, I'll probably use them. And yeah, if it's not working so well, I'll just switch back to the five Bs. So yeah, anyway, that should be interesting. So expect a different drum sound from this recording. The other side of that recording, I guess, is the guitar side of it. Yeah, I'm doing all the guitars on it. it they are my songs that I've written. So I'm going to play the instruments. And I'm going to approach it again, much in the same way that I talked about with On Desolate Plains. Except rather than reamping, I'm going to play straight up through my heads. So I'm going to do the main, get a main rhythm sound out of the Mesa, uh, Mesa single rectifier, and dial in, yeah, a really 80 to 90% tone of what I want, rather than going like, compromising or anything like that. I just want to say, okay, this is the best that this amp can push out. And then I'm going to quad track it mainly because the guitar parts aren't extremely hard or anything. I'm going to quad track it um, using my Jim Root Orange, which I also used on Desolate Plains. But yeah, straight through again. And the reason I'm doing it at the time is because I want to have, I want to be reacting to the tone, but I want to be I want to be sure that what I'm putting down is the right thing. So then when I lay the orange over the top of it, I can dial it in to suit and to blend a bit more rather than leaving things until later and trying to get it to work. And, you know, I can hear how the guitar react, reacts with each amp. And uh, for example, I've got two guitars that I'll be using. And one of them I feel really needs a clean boost because I think the pickups I use in it don't exactly handle the low end too well and it flubs out a little bit. So that tightens up a lot when I use a clean boost pedal, which in my case is some sort of a boss overdrive. I've got a couple, Blues Driver, SD1. Whereas the other guitar, and by the way, I prefer, totally prefer not to use a clean boost. I don't actually like them so much. Um, I could probably get the same result that I'm going for with this out of a cleaner sounding pedal or not necessarily cleaner, maybe one that doesn't impart as much tone or change the character of my guitar or amp too much. But yeah, I can't go out and spend a bunch of money and trying out pedals. Um, but yeah, maybe an EQ pedal or a, a cleaner sort of clean boost rather than, a, I guess, a mid boost, which is probably what the Tube Screamer Boss Overdrive style thing is. Anyway, um, the other guitar doesn't need one so much. The, the pickups or just the whole guitar itself just sounds awesome as is. And yeah, plugged into any amp, it just has a great character. So yeah, I way prefer it without a clean boost. And yeah, I don't want to be dialing in a tone and going, oh, I'm going to need a clean boost this or, uh, you know, maybe I should have used a different guitar with this amp. I just want to be set in stone, get it done. And yeah, then it's less mucking around later, but I just sort of know upfront what I'm dealing with. Uh, an extension of that, I guess, is with the bass guitar. I've got new strings for that, which is in uh, B standard tuning. So I actually bought a five string pack. I'm not going to use the fifth string 
or is it the other way around the first string? I'm not going to use the high E on it anyway. Um, and that that is going to go down first before the guitars. Once again, because I want to not over-dial in the bass on the guitar. So I want to know what I'm dealing with with the bass first and then, yeah, have a complementary tone. And that's my new approach to recording. I did mention it uh, in the On Desolate Plains episode that I'll change a few things from that session. And yeah, this is just a good excuse to try a few things out. Um, yeah, vocals, I'm not too sure yet what's going on with them. I've written some parts and stuff, but yeah, we'll figure that out as, as I go along. That can be tacked on later. Um, and leads, yeah, I guess the same as rhythm guitars, really old. Um, I want to play them straight into the amps and stuff, but um, yeah, with effects going through the loop most likely. But if not, I'll just record them through the amp and then put on some plugins for delay and reverb if I decide to use it. Anyway, so that's that's just is what it is. I'll be getting cracking on that when I get back. But yeah, first stop is drums and I've just got to make sure I perform pretty well on that. Uh that also leads me to talk about the other members of the band. Um, yeah, Jesse has a couple of songs that we've got some drums and piano laid down to. And we did that in Germany, which was awesome. That was a really cool experience. So live piano, drums with a hell of a lot of mics on it. Not because I asked for that, but because that's what the engineer did. And yeah, they came out really good. So... Yeah, we're going to build off the foundation of them and laying guitars and vocals and probably some synth arranged sort of stuff as well. And yeah, all layer that on top. So that's two songs. Uh, Cabba, as I've mentioned, has an album of like thrash music. In his case, I'm going to get him set up. And Cabra and I have spoken about this on the podcast. I'll get him set up so he's either using his Kemper or just... Uh, recording a DI track or something but yeah have him record all his guitar tracks at home when he's ready for bass he can do that he's got some mics or he can borrow some of mine and he can track all his own vocals and yeah then he'll he's going to give it to me and I'll other if it's required I'll reamp and do all that business um, but one thing I'll definitely do is either lay drums myself if I'm up to snuff his songs are pretty fast so um, I dare say it'll be a struggle for me. If I can't pull it off, I'll probably program them. Or if Cab is interested in finding, you know, a faster drummer out there who can pull off the parts better than I can, then we'll get them in and I'll, I'll track them. Just probably at, a, at the hen house, probably. Rehearsal studios with my rig, because, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's got access to all the gear, so he doesn't want to put any extra cash towards it if he could probably just use Stephen Slate drums by himself. So anyway, we'll get to that. That'll be interesting. Um, and then there's Dyson who has a little band together and yeah, he's got a bass player, a drummer and himself, I guess, doing vocals and guitar. So yeah, we're going to collaborate somehow on that as well. And yeah, the whole idea behind... You know, everyone's doing their own thing because they want to do it. But from my perspective, it's a pretty good chance for me to try some new stuff out. 
especially with, you know, people I'm very comfortable with, very familiar with, and, you know, they're familiar with recording me. Uh, it's not going to be too hard, I don't think. But, yeah, it'll give me a chance f- to mix a few different projects and try and realize a few different genres of music in terms of, like, that, how it's going to sound at the end of the day. So that's exciting. That's pretty cool. And I'm hoping we can do all of that by the end of the year or at least very early next year and maybe yeah it'd be an interesting thing if members of claim of throne are each doing their little uh, i don't know side projects or little own um projects in the same year or within a few months of actually releasing an album um since i am seeing jim i'm going to mention it to him like if you've got a couple of songs you should find someone to track you in the states and send them to me and i'll do the other side of it um because yeah that would be pretty awesome too anyway so that's some just some stuff that's going on with music and me um apart from that i've just been listening to a lot of podcasts i've refound some old stuff that i haven't listened to in a while and also some newer stuff that i think is pretty awesome so i've written a little list here um Actually, the reason why I did write this list is because I started doing this podcast, Making Music. It's been plugged on this show a lot of times. And yeah, the problem with it was, it was actually, the whole idea was for it to be a place where I could just document the music I'm making just in a similar way I just did just then. But, you know, between this podcast, between being in Claim of Throne, doing all the stuff I just described to you, writing some songs, doing a bunch of uh, pet project recording stuff, it's just too much. And I found that um, I reckon I did four different types of it, like quick shows, longer shows, had Owen, who was on last week, as a regular sort of co-host for a bit. But man, I tell you what, I just couldn't speed up the process of doing that podcast. And I found I spent a lot more time doing a 10-minute show than I would just doing a one-hour Claim of Throne blogcast where we can just record it and just put it up and it's done. So I actually found, ironically, that the Making Music podcast stopped me from making music. And part of the reason I was documenting it as a podcast was to kind of help people out you know, that are going through this or have going through the same things that I've gone through and I currently still am going through in learning how to do everything from writing, recording, gigging live, all this stuff. And I feel that if I can impart some things that have helped me out in the past, um, it might give people a head start and they won't waste so much time as I did concentrating on things that don't matter. But yeah, like I say, the flip side of that is that I stop concentrating on the things that matter and it's it's not a really effective show if I can't be constantly creative in my own time. And I'd rather do that and not talk about it than sort of talk about doing it but not actually do it, if that makes sense. Anyway, so I figure the real place that I get the best info from and the shows and resources I like going to are pretty much the same every week or every few weeks and i may as well list them for you guys and if you want to go and check them out if anything sounds like it's up your alley then you definitely should so no particular order they just what came to mind first is the unstoppable recording machine podcast it's run by joel wanasek who's a mixer al levy who was the guitarist from 
the band Darth, and he's also a mixer. He worked at um, Audio Hammer, which is uh, Jason Sukoff's studio in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And Joey Sturgis, who I guess he's most well known for, in in my eyes anyway, is being the attack attack guy, you know, those guys with the crab walking. But yeah, a lot of these more modern metal, metalcore style productions he he does. And anyway, they just have a podcast, kind of like the Claim of Throne Blodgecast, where they just chat about what they're doing, or they'll get a guest on and they'll talk about what the guest is doing. But it's very focused on recording. Why I think it's good is that, you know, I don't necessarily love the kind of music these guys work on. And it's not like I listen to an Attack Attack mix and go, yes, that's that's the style of mix that I would like my band to have or I would like to produce as a mixing engineer. But I do like hearing them talk about what they're doing. And for what it is, I think it's I think it is really good. But yeah, it's not, I mean, I'm listening to Agalock right now. It doesn't really sound anything like this sort of stuff. But yeah, I do enjoy the way they talk about things. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit gear based. Sometimes it's a bit music business based. Uh, but it's all about helping guys in the, I guess, modern metal production get a leg up. And they have this thing called Nail the Mix, which is an interesting idea. I don't know if I'd ever shell out for it, but it's not that expensive. It's about... 30 us a month i think might be expensive for some but yeah you get to watch a world famous mix engineer mix a song and you get all the multi-tracks and they do essentially a course like a how i mixed this song course and they always use plugins and just in the box which is a cool thing for us home recording people so that's pretty interesting but yeah the podcast is free i get it off the itunes uh podcast app and it's really cool heaps of variety in terms of their guests and yeah not every week is like the best ever but there's a lot of cool stuff in there uh number two is the bobby osinski podcast which i've crapped on a lot uh, about on this podcast it's called bobby o's inner circle it's more business focused so yeah he usually gets on engineers or studio owners and stuff like that but he talks from the perspective a lot of the time of the music industry and what's happening around the place and how that's relevant to someone with a studio but yeah he always goes into a little bit of the guest's history and maybe if they've got a certain thing that they do like perhaps some guys you know an ultimate SSL console freak or something like that he'll go into it and why and you know you may not think that's interesting if you're a guy who just uses um, GarageBand on your computer. But yeah, I always seem to get a lot out of that show. So it's it's something I would recommend you at least give a shot. Go through previous episodes, same with all of these things I'm about to mention. And just pick out, you know, one guy that you've heard of that you think's cool and listen to their interview. And that's usually what I do. I start with the ones that I know. And then if the quality of the interviews are pretty good then I'll just start listening to guys I don't know about. And yeah, usually I end up thinking they're pretty awesome. Uh, the next one is premierguitar.com. That is the Premier Guitar Magazine website. And I, when I've got nothing else to Google, you know, when you're bored shitless and you just want to kill five, 10 minutes, I will just look up Premier Guitar and I'll just look at, I don't know, what gear's coming out. Maybe someone's written a blog about 
some amp manufacturer or how to um you know how to set up an acoustic guitar or something like that how to level a fret like there's all sorts of different stuff on there that i think can be pretty interesting um but yeah also things like gear reviews and a few famous uh working guitarists do some blogs on there so yeah, it's a pretty good resource i think and again free uh next one is another podcast it's called recording studio Rockstars. it's with a guy called lid shaw who from what i can gather is you know a pretty well seasoned mixing engineer and yeah He's a cool guy and I really love the, his take on how he asks questions. He, it's always the same format every week and I love hearing different people, especially when I've heard them on other podcasts, answer the same questions because you, you start to see a variety of how these people think and um, yeah, it's interesting when you ask the same question to every single person, just how other people approach giving an answer. So yeah, that's a very cool one. Um, yeah, a lot like Bobby O and Ultimate Recording Machine or Unstoppable Recording Machine, sorry. They get, uh, Lidge gets people on like Steve Albini. That was an awesome interview. Uh, Matt Ross Spang, he's a guy at Sun Studios. That was an awesome interview. But some other guys as well. He, um, the most recent one I listened to was Russ Collier, I think, or Russ Coletta or something. Anyway, he they talk about loudness and mixing and um, just a- approaches to certain things. And it's kind of a themed episode, but he still gets those same questions he asks every guest in as well. So yeah, I'm really enjoying that one actually. And I dare say I'll be cranking through them on the plane on the way to the States. Uh, next up is the Working Class Audio Podcast with Matt Boudreau. Matt was on a few episodes back, maybe 20 episodes ago-ish. And yeah, he takes a little bit of a different approach to Lidge and Bobby O, where he does talk about, you know, recording and he does talk about the business of recording, but it's more like the day-to-day. So, you know, he might talk about how someone's got to start. And by the way, sorry, it's an interview show again. Um, But he'll kind of come from this point of view like, okay, uh, Matt Wallace, for example, you've either won or at least been nominated for Grammys. You've worked on albums that have been huge, but you know, what's your day to day like? And then you find out that these guys you'd assume are like massively rich and famous aren't, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. And they deal with a lot of the same stuff that we deal with and often their lifestyle isn't exactly as glamorous as even, you know, someone earning an average wage. So yeah, it's a pretty cool insight into what life is really like, you know, in the mixing world. And yeah, I actually personally know a few guys that have jumped over from just doing what I do, just their own recording or occasionally working with friends and stuff. And have tried to make it into a business and I find a lot of them take jobs that they don't want to do just because, you know, they quit their day job so they have to do work and I reckon that that would beat me down a lot and I've seen a lot of guys, well, they've personally told me, you know, this sucks. Um, I love it when I work with good friends or with awesome musos but 
most of the money I make is stuff I don't want to be doing. So, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see inside the world of people like that. But then on the other hand, you know, there are other people who approach things differently and diversify a little bit and, yeah, have people coming to them for a certain thing rather than just, you know, a few of my friends have just been like, um, you know, these people just need someone to record their album, you know. So, yeah, if you can get to a point, I guess, where you've got a bit of a name, you might, um, yeah, have more people coming to you. But, yeah, it's nice to see inside the minds of some of these people and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Tape Hop magazine. That's a cool one. Tape Hop is, I think it's, there's four copies a year that come out, maybe more, I don't know. Um, and you basically subscribe for free and you get a PDF of, you know, a hundred odd page magazine in your email once every three months or four months. And it's awesome. It has everything from interviews, reviews of gear, uh, just columns like, you know, people talking about concepts and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it's a really good resource for a lot of things and, you know, has some pretty cool info and, and has stopped me buying certain pieces of gear because, you know, they've directed me down a line of like a certain, I don't know, trying a certain technique and it's worked. And so I've just like stuck with the basic cheap ass boring microphone, but ended up getting better recordings. And it's always a good read. Again, um, when you're reading interviews and stuff as well, you, you find out a lot about people and get a lot of cool ideas. So that's always an awesome read. And it's free, so you can't go wrong there. They've also got a podcast where I think they release one episode a month on average. They've only got like five or six. And it's essentially just the audio version of the interview that they cut down and put in the magazine. So, you know, the magazine's been going for years and years now. And yeah, they're starting to release some of the recorded interviews just as a podcast. So... That can be a cool resource too. Uh, next up is Pensado's Place. That is one of the first podcasts I ever started listening to about audio. And they ha always have a, a guest on. And yeah, especially in the earlier days of it, it was a bit more relevant to me. Like they've had guys like Joe Barisi on. And um, a bit later on, they've had Butch Vig. Can't think... Of too many off the top of my head but yeah more recently they've had people like Kenny Aronoff who's a session drummer and um, I think even stars of like TV shows and stuff so it's getting a little bit more um, uh, wider in the scope of interviews they're getting on but yeah it's cool it's run by Dave Pensato who mixed like Mariah Carey albums and um, Christina Aguilera and stuff so he's no stranger to working on some pretty cool stuff but yeah, not every interview is quite up my alley, but it's, I find I always get a lot of cool information off that. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say I listen to it as much anymore now that I've found other podcasts that are my go-tos that have regularly more guests than I'm into. Uh, another podcast that I love is No Guitar Is Safe. I've talked about that before on here. And it's this guy called Jude Gold, and he works for Guitar Player Magazine. In Australia, we call that Guitar World Magazine. 
And yeah, he picks a guitarist, he rocks up at their house or at a studio or they go to a space, they meet up at a space somewhere. And I guess he either brings a guitar with him or they always have guitars and a little practice amp there. And they chat, they jam, they do a bit of the history of this and that, talk about some touring they're doing or whatever the person is up to. And yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. And it's especially great to hear these incredible guitarists playing. They're usually on pretty good guitars, but usually through practice amps without all their pedal boards and bullshit. So it's cool just hearing people strip right back and you find out, wow, these guys just sound good no matter what they're on. So that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, some of the episodes for me that were really amazing on No Guitar Is Safe was the Paul Gilbert one. I felt I learnt a hell of a lot about guitar and even just got some practice tips and stuff off there. It was pretty awesome. And the other one that was great was Steve Vai. I reckon Steve Vai is awesome. I mean, I'm, I don't listen to his music all the time. I certainly appreciate a lot of his songs. But yeah, I've never been like a super, super Steve Vai fan. But as a guy, I reckon he's really inspirational and love hearing him talk about guitar. And I mean, just watch the guy play. He's when he's doing like solos and stuff like that. He's so into it. It's really cool. But yeah, he's awesome. And he's got a um, really killer studio in his house. And he just loves making music, which is awesome. So yeah, pretty cool. Oh, and the Pete Thorne episode on that was really great too. He's a working guitarist and he's pretty killer but i'll get to him in a second anyway uh that's pretty much the stuff i regularly kind of go through that's how i would spend my week is plowing through the new episodes of those podcasts some aren't exactly every week but yeah it's they turn over enough where i can you know fill out a week of podcast listening with them um another pretty cool interview that I did here was a Steve Albini interview on creative control, which is, a, I'm not sure if that podcast is still going, but you can find it on iTunes or on the net somewhere. Anyway, this, I forget what his name is, but yeah, he interviews Steve Albini and Ian Mackay from Minor Threat. And they talk about the punk scene in Chicago. And that's, yeah, it's a really killer interview as well. There, there is another I think two more Steve Albini interviews on creative control. One of them is killer. The other one is more about baseball. So I didn't really enjoy that, but yeah, I like listening to Steve. I think he's pretty awesome. Um, and finally, the last thing I'll talk about is the Pete Thorne, who I mentioned just before the Pete Thorne YouTube channel. And he does a lot of gear reviews. Um, and I don't need to be buying any more gear, but I just love watching how he dials in tone and he always gives a lot of information around what makes a product great. So let's say you were in the market for a new overdrive pedal. He'd have a cool video probably on that very pedal, new or old, vintage or something that's just come out. Um, but if he doesn't, he'd have something on how to dial in an overdrive and what he likes about them and you know, that's that's where I might go if I'm going to upgrade this overdrive pedal and get a cleaner overdrive. I might find out what he looks for in one and how he uses one in conjunction with his amp. Um, and yeah, I guess on that note, he did, he did put out a video. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but 
there was something about what he likes about overdrive pedals, right? And he had his favorite five overdrives or four overdrives. And they're all slightly different. You know, one's very clean, one's a very mid-boost, uh, one's vintage and boutique and blah, blah. Um, and I took the approach that he used on the video in terms of how he dialed in his amp to receive the clean boost from the pedal. And man, I got some of the best tone I've ever got. So a lot of the tips I take from all of these things in general are more conceptual, like, okay, I've got access to a certain amount of gear um, and I might not be happy with the tones I'm getting out of it or, you know, how my recordings are going down or anything. But when I forget about the brand name on it and just, you know, figure out the intent of each tool that I'm using and then try and get the best out of it and what it's trying to provide rather than trying to get it to do something that it's not designed for, that's when I find I have the biggest uh, improvement, especially with tracking or getting tones and stuff. Um, yeah, and I guess that's why I can listen to such a wide variety of podcasts, all on all music-related uh, and magazines, all music-related, but just with different angles and different bents on what they're going for. Because yeah, you can you can learn a lot just by hearing what someone. Uh, how someone reacts to certain topics and yeah, I find I get more conceptual information from all of these things rather than just like I need to go out and buy a piece of equipment X or whatever. And that's, I think, why my recordings, you know, improve slowly over time is because I attempt, I break the um, the way that I do things every time. I break it down and I change things if things aren't working. I used to blame gear and I've bought and sold a lot of gear, but uh, I've found that, yeah, just using things the way they're intended to be used and with certain things in mind, and Overdrive's a great example. Um, I see people just like cranking the shit out of uh, like a Mesa Boogie, for example, super high gain, and then putting a clean boost on it and, you know, it gives even more gain. Whereas um, I've come to find that if I'm going to use a boost I'm probably going to use a lot less preamp gain on the amp and I'm going to kick it in when the amp is like barely breaking up and then the boost actually pushes it into saturation and yeah I like the sound of that a whole lot more and especially experimenting with layering guitars I've found that that uh, that's allowed me to uh, get more complex tone rather than just like, you know, ultra high gain. It just gets a bit fizzy and yeah, everything starts to sound the same after a while and you may as well just use one amp if that's what you're doing. But um, yeah, that's just one example. So yeah, anyway, I'll bloody leave it there because I've been crapping on. Um, album of the week. I didn't do one on my last solo thing. I almost forgot on my own podcast. What have I been listening to? You know what? I've been listening to a lot of Moon Sorrow lately. And I went back, oh God, I hate that I have to pronounce this, and listened to Var, uh, Varionia Kulyemi Kuoledian Masa. The Aussie version, of course, is Varjoinia Kuoledian Masa. 
Anyway, that was the album from 2010. I've actually never given that too much of a listen before. Certainly heard it, but yeah, it's other albums I really like. Kivan, Kivan Kantaya, that's my favorite one. But uh, yeah, that 2010 albums, it's pretty cool. Um, they almost have like this, I don't know, every album that sort of has a different sound, especially I hear it in the drums and in the distortion. It, yeah, this one is particularly different, which is cool. So yeah, love Moon Sorrow. That's awesome. Do like a good bit of blackened folk-esque metal, if that's what you call it. Don't really know. But yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so anyway, you'll be hearing this the day after I get back from the States. Um, I doubt, according to bloody my lazy mate Cabba, that we'll do a podcast while we're in Vegas together. That would be nice, but I don't think it's going to happen. So yeah, I, I would say that the next episode will maybe be me again. That'll be the weekend that I'm recording with Al, those drums. So unless we can bust that out quick, it might just be me talking shit once more. And then don't worry, fellas and ladies, because uh, Cabal will be back and the podcast will go back to normal, hopefully. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for letting me crap on. Uh, it was not as long this time, whatever. Uh, pre-orders, I think, have gone out in the mail already for On Desolate Plains. You can still pre-order the album, um, but because we're going to be overseas, it's going to be hard to ship them out. But the release date is, of course, the 13th of October, and that's coming up rapidly. So, yeah. Anyway, enjoy. All the best. And I'll talk to you soon.